Luke 21. And we'll be finishing up a portion that's called the, known as the Olivet Discourse. And uh, Jesus has been giving some prophecies. Last week we looked at a uh, uh, time of tribulation. And, uh, and even in this world we will have tribulations and uh, difficulties and trials. And uh, this morning's text, uh, Christ is going to be dealing with his second coming. And uh, Luke 21, look at verse number 25. It says, And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing from uh, them for fear. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. <clears throat> and he spake unto them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, uh, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with, uh, uh, with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come uh, on all them that dwell on the face of the, of, uh, me, of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things which shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple and at night he went out and abode in the mount which is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him in the temple uh, excuse me, to, to him in the temple for to hear him. And let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, our time together today. Thank you for the word of God, that we can come to it and uh, know with confidence that this is indeed uh, the word of God that you've given to us, that you've inspired, preserved through these years for us to have and, and hold and to, to, to trust today. And so, Lord, as we look to your word, help us to understand Help us to, uh, to know the sense of this passage. And uh, Father, may we all grow in our faith and understanding today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus has been uh, teaching in the temple. Of course, this is the last uh, just couple days before he's going to be taken and crucified. Uh, in the next portion, we're going to have that last supper with the disciples. And, and, and really, things start happening pretty quickly at that point. Uh, from him being taken and betrayed and the trials and all these things he's going to go through. But uh, up till then, he's been teaching in the temple every day. It started off, of course, with him cleansing the temple, right? When he went in there and he was uh, acting not very Christ-like <laughs> as he was chasing off the money changers and, uh, and uh, you know, full of zeal for the Lord's house. He says, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you made it to the den of thieves. And, and from then, he started teaching every single day. And in the nighttime, he would uh, retire away with his disciples, pull away to the Mount of Olives where they would uh, rest a little bit. And he would no doubt teach his disciples there. And, and, uh, and here he's having this discourse what's called the, many times the Olivet Discourse, where he's talking about future things. 
And where they're asking the questions, what are gonna, what's going to be the sign of your coming, and how are we going to know? And, and so he's, gonna, he's laying out some things, some instruction there. And, and of course, earlier in our journey with Jesus, we studied the first portion here of this discourse where he talks about Israel and, and the Lord's returns and the things that are coming uh, uh, right before that. And our focus here is going to be on the, the final portion where he's going to talk about what it's going to be like when he, in fact, returns. Now, I want to say this as a, somewhat of a disclaimer as we get into this. The second coming of the Lord and the rapture are not the same thing, okay? That's where a lot of people get really confused. Uh, in fact, they're two different times. Now, some people will say it's like the first part of the Lord's return and the second part of the Lord's return, and, and uh, just to avoid confusion, we're going to just call it the rapture, the rapture, and the Lord's return, second coming, the second coming. How does that sound? And uh, they come at two different times, all right, I'm not going to get into the timeline because our text actually is not dealing with the rapture. Uh, Jesus never dealt with the rapture, in fact. Uh, Paul is the first one to bring our attention to the rapture, and, um, which I'll, I'll share some passages with that. But with that in mind, uh, keeping in mind that Jesus is teaching the Jews, his own Israel, and he's been dealing with them. They had not at this point fully rejected him. He had not um, uh, really started the New Testament church as far as we know it. But what he had been doing was, uh, was, was preaching to his people. And, and, uh, and a big part of that message, all the way back from John the Baptist, prepare for the kingdom. Now notice what he said in our text. We, we came across it. He said, when these things happen, verse 31, so likewise when you see these things come to pass, you know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. So the kingdom's right around the corner when we see these things happen, when Christ is going to come and he's going to establish his earthly kingdom. But he's laying out and, and trying to share with them his plan. And by the way, here's the wonderful truth. We're not just reading past history. We're not just reading about things God did, but understanding his plan is still unfolding. That's the awesome thing. We're in the middle of his plan. And it's still unfolding, and, and there's some things that I think are going to encourage us. There's some things today that ought to refocus us as we consider our place in this world, as we consider what God's doing on his timetable and his, his plan of events, but it's still unfolding. Um, the great preacher F.B. Meyer once asked D.L. Moody, what is the secret of your success? To which Moody replied, for many years, I have never given an address without the consciousness that the Lord may come before I have finished. What a way to live. What a way to preach. And, uh, and you know, I've been challenged with that from time to time. What, what would it be today if this was the last sermon I could ever preach? What would it be if today was the last day I would be alive? You see, uh, we lose sight of that. You know, boast not thyself for tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Uh, uh, in James, it talks about how, how, how we don't say, you know, uh, we're going to do this and go there. He says, if the Lord will, is what we should say. Yeah. Lord willing. Right? And we make plans, and I think it's, it's fine to make plans and, and everything, but we ought to live as though this could be our last day. What kind of impact would we make? What, what, what kind of conviction would we live with if we knew today was it? You see, what, what a challenge to our thinking, isn't it? The way we do things. There was a little girl, she learned about the Lord's return in her Sunday school class, and she was asking her mom, uh, Mom, could, could Jesus come today? So yeah, don't, yeah, sweetheart, he could come today. Could he come, uh, you know, could he come next week? Could he come today? Could he come uh, within the next hour? Yeah, he, he could come within the next hour. And, uh, and the little girl asked her mom, Mom, would you do my hair? 
You know, it, it, it's amazing how, well, you know, it's been these 2,000 years. Uh, remember what it says in, uh, in Peter's epistle? He says, where is the promise of his coming? For since the foundation, things have continued as they are, you know, and, and the Bible says for this they are willingly ignorant. And, uh, and it's in that passage, it's in that context, where is, uh, where is the promise of his coming? By the way, those who do not believe, let me just say, you do not want the promise of his coming to come yet. If you've not trusted, if you've not believed, you do not want the fulfillment of his coming. Because when he comes, he's coming in judgment. He came the first time as a sacrifice, the second time as a lion, and he is going to come in judgment. You see, if you've rejected, if you've not been a part of that, if you're not one of the redeemed, you do not want to see his second coming. Where's the promise of his coming? And that's the context where it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You want to know what the will of God is for, for our day and age? That everyone comes to repentance. You know what God's will for America is? That America turns in repentance to God, that, that the lost cry out to him for salvation. That's what God's will is. We say, what is the Lord's will for us today? And we have a lot of good things that we talk about. There are a lot of good, wonderful, moral things. You know, well, you know, we should stand up for the unborn, and that we should do. We should uh, stand against the wicked of our day. We should, you know, we should do these things. We should vote, and yes, we should do those things. But what is the will of God today for our generation, for our nation, is that the gospel be preached, and people come to salvation. That is what God's will is. And let me just say this. You miss that, you are a part. You do not have the heart of God. You've missed the will of God. That's a bold statement. But anything short of that, you've missed the will of God. Let's not get sidetracked. That's what this message is about this morning, of not getting sidetracked. Not getting off track. That little girl thought, man, if Jesus could come today, I want to look my best. Mommy, would you do my hair? And as we walk with God today, as we seek his direction today, we ought to say, Lord, am I looking my best? Am I ready for your return? It's estimated that there are uh, 1,800, 1,800 Old Testament references to Christ's second coming. In fact, there are more prophecies about the second coming of Christ than there are about the first coming. How many of you believe the first coming of Christ happened? Amen. We celebrate, right? Christmas. And of course, uh, his earthly ministry ended with what we just uh, celebrated, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 50 days later, the, or, or uh, 40 days later, the ascension. 50 days later, the day of Pentecost and the, the, the empowering of the church. Three hundred prophecies in just the New Testament about his second coming. And the final point of this discourse warns the disciples of Christ's coming and Israel's king and really the, the end of the world. Uh, the, 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 that, that, that was the, what they had asked him. What will be the signs of the end of the world? What, what's the sign of your coming? And, and of course, what's going to take place is uh, prior to Christ's return, there's going to be a seven-year period, what we call the time of great tribulation. And, uh, and that's going to take place. And at the very end of that, he's coming uh, to make war. He's coming at the Battle of Armageddon, and his saints are going to come with him. And I don't have time to unpack all of that, but, but, but as Jesus is addressing Israel, he's addressing the Jews, he's, he's, he's addressing them from the perspective of the target, the main purpose of the tribulation. And the main purpose of the tribulation is God dealing with Israel. 
That's the main purpose. If you miss that, by the way, all of your end time understanding of scripture is going to be thrown off. God is dealing with Israel in the tribulation. Uh, in fact, one of the prophets calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is another name for Israel. In fact, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, the time of Jacob's trouble. And, um, and so we understand that, that, uh, that, uh, that that's the focus. And he's going to deal with Israel. And he's going to deal with the nations as they relate to Israel. And then he's coming. In, in, in where Jesus is talking about, you're going to see him in the clouds. And he's coming with ten thousands of his saints and thousands upon thousands. And, and uh, they're going to be riding on white horses and that whole stuff that's unpacked in, in scriptures. And he's leading the charge. And from his mouth proceedeth a double-edged sword. And he's going to uh, make war. And, and it's, just, it's just a pretty powerful and by the way, it's, it's powerful when you're on the right side of things. It's terrifying if you're on the wrong side of things. But from this passage, we see some of the, the final events of world history really prophesied. Uh, we also find warnings of hope concerning the anticipation of, of earth-changing events that will bring forth the future kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Revelation 11:15, And the seventh angel sounded... And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of the world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. What a wonderful passage of scripture. The kingdoms of the world are become the, kingdom, uh, the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. First of all, we see in our text the pronouncement of the signs. What are the signs? The first sign we see are some signs in nature. And by the way, how many of you appreciate when Jesus taught, he was, he was the master teacher, by the way. He often would use imagery. He'd use uh, symbols, and he would kind of show us things. And, and the first thing he kind of lays out, he says, here's, here's some things that are going to proceed. Here's some things that can come before. First, we're going to see signs in nature, verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring. First, we see those signs in nature. In the heavens, it says, Great tribula uh, during the tribulation, especially the last half, there are going to be uh, many celestial events taking place. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 12, it says, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, and the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. By the way, what's interesting is when we consider this, uh, there, there are no doubt going to be things happening in nature. But I, I wonder, as we look at technology, we look at some of the talks that are going on around the world today, how much of this might even be uh, man's involvement. Do you know Bill Gates is talking about a way of shielding the sun? You know what that might do to the rest of the planet? By the way, when man just tries to deal with nature, how many realize nature is a much more powerful force than we could probably ever come up, you know, try to take on? God made it. And the only one more powerful than nature is God himself, the Lord of the seas, when he said, peace be still, and it was still. And we want to take on all that? I digress. But there are going to be signs. Uh, uh, part of the sun is going to be darkened and the moon and the stars. And, uh, and, and these are some things that are going to be taking place at this time. There are going to be signs in the heavens, signs in the earth. Uh, uh, there it says in verse 25, it says, uh, uh, there'll be distress of the nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. 
These events are going to cause devastating destruction on the earth, specifically the seas and uh, fresh water supply. And think about what that's going to do to the, to, the, to, to, uh, to the nations. As By the way, there are places around the world where it's hard to get fresh water as it is. And, uh, and, and what this is going to do is uh, the, much of the water is going to be depleted. And, and um, in fact, in Revelation 8, verse number 8 and 9, and the second angel sounded... And as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And a third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third part of the ships were destroyed. So here we have the navies destroyed. We have, we have a, a third of the creatures in the oceans, in the sea, dead. You know what kind of a stack that's going to be? By the way, what happens oftentimes when, a, when an animal dies, and, uh, and especially if it's going to be this much, at some point, they're probably going to get washed up to the shore, washed up into harbors. Wa I mean, this is, this is nasty stuff that's going to be happening. A third. We all right this morning? Everyone's kind of looking, where is this going? Hey, the, the Lord's the one teaching here. He's the one that's kind of laying this out. And, and, uh, and this is a response to them. By the way, keeping in mind, the next day the events unfold. His, his ministries, this is the, his last teaching, really, before his crucifixion. Why is he giving us this stuff? He's laying this out. But we see there's going to be signs in nature. There's going to be signs in the nations. It talked about uh, the distress of nations with perplexity. In verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken there are several signs specifically mentioned that, 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 the, that we're going to see in the nations at this time. First of all, it talks about the distress of the nations. That word there, it means they're gripped with anguish. There's, there's just confusion. They don't know what's going on, and there's, there's great unrest among the nations. And, and by the way, these things have to be, these things are going to, you know, uh, when we even consider uh, how much our world was hit uh, with, this, with this pandemic, Right? Not, not necessarily it was hit with the deaths that they pre predicted, but look at what it did economically. Look at what it did in many places and, uh, uh, you know, and especially less stable countries and how much of an impact that made. And, and as these things start to happen, there's going to be great distress. There's going to be anguish and wondering what in the world's going on. And no doubt the stock market is going to be just doing all kinds of crazy things because there's so much uncertainty. No one knows what's happening. And there's going to be great distress. There's going to be perplexities. There's going to be fear. It says men's hearts will be failing them for fear. They're going to see all these supernatural catastrophes taking place. And, uh, and uh, after the nations rise up in rebellion, God is going to laugh at their calamity, the Bible says. But what's happening is there's this great um, uh, confusion and great perplexity as, as all this is going on. And, and here's the thing. When, when we see, for example, when we see economic catastrophes, these economists step back and say, well, here's what happened. And, uh, well, there was, a big, uh, there was a big housing bubble, and the thing popped. We can kind of point to things. We can say, well, this happened, and this happened. And uh, you ever heard people use the term uh, biblical proportions? We talk about catastrophes of biblical proportions. Like when an earthquake comes along and 200,000 die. Bibli and by the way, that's not even biblical. When we start talking about a third of the world's population, now we're talking biblical proportions. 
But what does it mean? It means, it means that it is so out of control, and it's, there's no way to look, but this is God's doing. We can't, we can't understand it. We can't stop it. And what's going to happen? When, when men have such confidence in man, and these things are now out of their control, no military is strong enough to stop it. No nation uh, is wealthy enough to buy their way out of it. Uh, These things are happening. There's going to be great fear in the hearts of men because we can't control it. It's out of our reach. It's out of our grasp. And then, of course, at the end of it all, the Lord comes back in what's called the Battle of Armageddon. They're going to make war against God, which is the most amazing thing. If you can't stop these natural catastrophes, why would you try to stop the God that caused them? There are a lot of passages about the Battle of Armageddon, but one of my favorites is in Psalm 2, Psalm 2, verse 1 through 5. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain thing, a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. <laughs> the kings of the earth are going to come together. You know what? We're strong enough. You got your army. I got, you know, we're going to make this big alliance. What are we going to do? We're going to take on God. And he that's in heaven is going to laugh. And then he's going to come. This is interesting. By the way, how many of you just kind of, when you look at prophecy, you, you at least scratch your head and say, this is interesting. <laughs> okay, this is, uh, uh, I don't know another better word. <laughs> this is interesting. So, so he talks about the signs. Then he talks about the promise of his second coming. After these catastrophic signs come to pass, Jesus himself is going to return with power and great glory. He talks about his own coming, verse, 30, uh, verse 27, and then shall they see, then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. You know, it's amazing when the Bible talks about um, how when, you know, uh, we're going to see him coming in the clouds. The Bible talks about, uh, in Revelation, the two witnesses and uh, how everyone will see them. Everyone will behold them. You know, for years, Bible students would look at this thing. How in the world is everyone going to see them? How in the world could this take place? Uh, Jesus coming in the clouds and everyone's going to see. And, and how do you understand? It's much more feasible today as we consider it. All right? You know, even in third world countries, people have smartphones. Uh, I, know, I know several, uh, uh, several people in uh, Papua New Guinea. And uh, they actually have to pay for, uh, you know, per minute still over there if they go to like maybe an internet cafe or something like that. But, uh, but every once in a while I'll see some of, my, some of the people I know over there. They'll upload pictures, upload videos onto, onto social media. And, and I'm thinking to myself, these guys, you know, they're still uh, walking village to village sometimes uh, for the ministry and doing different things over there. And, uh, and yet they're uploading their videos on, uh, on uh, the internet. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. You see these very poor countries, they don't even have water sometimes, and yet they got a smartphone. All right? They get our recycled iPhones and those kinds of things. But, uh, but you know, this is much more uh, possible as we consider this that everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to see these things that, that are going to unfold in those last days. And, and I know all the attention is going to be over there in the Middle East and around Israel and everything that's going on there, but, but those in, in America are going to see it. 
those in uh, uh, South America, those in India, those in China, they're, they're going to see what's going on and, and, and no doubt be a part of it, not just the leaders, but the people. They're going to be able to see these things. Kind of interesting to think about. And by the way, just where we've come in the last 20 years with technology. You see, before this, it was like, well, you know, with news broadcasters and stuff, but not everybody has TV. But now, I mean, it's just been accessible. Just kind of interesting to think about how these things would unfold. But Jesus prophesies his coming. The, the event described in Revelation 1-7 will be witnessed by the whole world, especially by uh, a repentant nation of Israel. It will it'll be public, not secret. Matthew 24 speaks of this as well. And the tribulation period described in Revelation 9, or excuse me, 6 through 19. Revelation 1 7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth will, uh, uh, will wail because of him. Even so, amen. And Israel, who pierced the Lord, they're going to see him. They're going to see the one that they slew. They're going to see the Christ that they rejected. They're going to be forced to look upon the one whom they had pierced. In fact, in uh, Zechariah, uh, prophesied in uh, Zechariah 12, 9 through 10, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Again in Revelation 19, 11 through 13, and I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head, on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus Christ himself coming to make war with the nations. I know this is a little different as we talk about the Lord Jesus. This is not the Jesus you tend to see on TBN. This is not the Jesus that, uh, that is uh, uh, you know, this peace-loving America surfer hippie Jesus. Uh, but this is the great God. You know, it's interesting how many times in the Bible it talks about this second coming, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And it is a great and dreadful day for those who made war with God, for those who had turned from Him, those who uh, uh, love not the truth. Charles Spurgeon said this, if a person does not accept Christ after his first coming, there will be no hope to escape the, the punishment when He comes again. If his first coming does not give you eternal life, his second coming will not. If you do not hide in his wounds when he comes as your savior, there will be no hiding place for you when he comes as your judge. What a, what a staunch reminder. That's why the Bible has such an urgency about it. Today's the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. Now is the accepted time. Today. He that being oft reproved, hardened at the neck, shall soon be cut off, and that uh, shall soon be destroyed, and that without remedy. Don't harden your neck. Don't play with this stuff. He came in his mercy, he came in his grace. 
But at the day of his judgment is not the time to plead mercy. Today is the day. He's going to come in great power and glory and finally establish his kingdom. The kingdom promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, a promise to David that, that the Messiah would rule and reign from his throne. He's going to establish that kingdom. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, a great passage. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, given a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in the things of heaven, the things of earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All the atheists that said no to God are going to bow. All the Richard Dawkins out there that write books and make livings and, 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 and debate and try to prove with their whole life that there is no God are going to bow once for all before the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to say this, it's better to bow now than to bow then. Better to bow this side than to bow on that side. Better confess him Lord today than to confess him Lord in trembling as he's about to cast judgment on your soul. But then the Lord offers comfort. Verse 28. When these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Keep in mind, talking to the Jews, talking to Israel, and, uh, and he's going to talk to those who are, uh, who are believing in his name. Uh, and so before I kind of unpack that part, I just want to say this. The church's comfort is the rapture. We call it the blessed hope. In fact, in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, if you're saved today, we're not, we're not looking forward to this. We're looking for the blessed hope. We're looking for the rapture. We're looking for the, the being caught up and the calling away. The Bible talks about how he that withholdeth the Holy Spirit of God that withholds the Antichrist from coming to power must be removed. Now, by the way, where does the Holy Spirit live today? Does he dwell in tabernacles, buildings, in the hearts of men? Those who are saved, ye are the temple of God. So for the Holy Spirit to be taken out of this world, and he made a promise, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, how does that take place? We must be caught up out of here. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to be diving too much into that as Jesus isn't addressing that, but a very important thing to understand, which we'll, we'll unpack later. I know there are different positions rising up, uh, especially in recent days, saying, well, you know, uh, uh, well, maybe mid-trip or pre-wrath or these different positions of the rapture. But it's very important to understand that Jesus is dealing with Israel during the tribulation. We'll get more into that another time. But Jesus is now explaining what will happen to Israel in those last days. Now, what's going to take place is after the rapture, we kick off this seven-year period of tribulation. The man of sin is revealed, the Antichrist, and he's going to appear like a very good leader, a, a strong leader. And by, by the way, here's my theory. I'll just get, uh, you know, maybe I'll come down here. This is my theory. Not Bible, okay? Uh, my theory is this, that I believe part of his coming to power is he's going to have a great explanation for the disappearance of all these Christians. Yeah. Have you noticed around the world, by the way, paganistic, uh, uh, they're getting to Christians, that, that better things can't happen until Christians are just kind of out of the way? 
You add to that the rise of all this talk, uh, my theory, okay, uh, all this talk of, uh, of alien sightings and UFOs and, and uh, other nations have been talking about, by the way, I had heard our countries talking about declassifying these UFO type stuff and, and, uh, and all I'm saying is, uh, is uh, they're going to say we're all abducted, okay? My theory, my guess, if I had to make a guess how it's all going to play out. And this man's going to have an explanation. And then he's going to say this, you know what we need to do? We need to come together. You know, it's those Christians, by the way, that want borders. It's those Christians that want uh, 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 national identities. Let's kind of do away with all that. We'll bring it together. Let's reset our economy. Let's have everybody have the same currency. And, uh, and, and but have you noticed our world is all but asking for that kind of stuff today? You see, and you are a bad person if you, uh, if, if you believe in nations and nationalities. By the way, I believe that's satanically inspired primarily to do away with the identity of Israel. That's another topic. We can go down that, chase that rabbit another day. So during that time of the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, that's going to be taking place, and God's going to begin chastening Israel bringing them back to himself. He's going to raise up 144,000 Jewish, male Jewish evangelists. And it's not 144,000 uh, witnesses walking around with briefcases who are going to make it into heaven. No, no, no. These are Jewish evangelists. That's a reference to Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way. Uh, these are Jewish evangelists that are going to be preaching. They're going to be preaching to the Jews and, and, uh, and, and those that were blinded and those that never heard and never understood the gospel. And they're going to see Jesus for who he is. There's going to be much repentance. There's going to be much suffering. Many of them will be martyred for the Lord. But during this time, God is chastening his people and, and, uh, uh, and bringing them back to himself. And they're going to recognize Christ as Messiah for those people. He's given this warning as all these catastrophes are happening. All these things are taking place. Uh, Matthew 24 is another passage where he talks about this. Uh, earlier in Luke, I believe it's 19, he talks uh, more about this. But, uh, but, but those, those that are going to be faithful to the end in the tribulation... That's when he says, now lift up your eyes. When all this is happening, lift up your eyes. For redemption, your redemption draweth nigh. Whose redemption? Those that saw Jesus for who he is. Those Jews that would believe on him. One primary purpose of the tribulation is to bring Israel to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as their savior, their king. Christ's return will be... Uh, Will be, a, will be fearsome for those who reject, uh, excuse me, who will receive judgment, but incredibly exciting for those who wait for his deliverance. In Revelation, it talks about those that endure till the end shall be saved. Talking about that time of tribulation. And then he gives us some pictures, some illustrations of prophecy earlier, how the Lord loved to deal in pictures. He grabbed a little child and put him on his lap and said, unless he be converted, become as one of these little ones who believe on me. You know, he gave wonderful examples. Consider the fig tree. He gave all these things, and he gives some illustrations in nature. He gives uh, signs from nature. He gives a promise from the word of God. That, first of all, verse 29. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, meaning when they, when they start to bud, you know that uh, y y your own selves, that summer is nigh at hand. And all those in Alaska said... 
Amen. <laughs> We're seeing some buds. I know the snow just fell the other day, but uh, summer is nigh at hand. It's coming, I promise, all right? By the way, God gave us promises that there will be seasons. I don't care what the global warming alarmists say. The Bible says it will not cease to be uh, winter and summer and spring and fall. It's never going to cease, all right? And uh, there'll, be, there'll be cycles, there'll be fluctuations, but it's never going to cease. We're going to continue these patterns until it all falls apart in the end, all right? And uh, by the way, that's why we really have such uh, uh, opposing views when it comes to these things, because we know where it all came from, and we know where it's all going. You see? But for those that think this is one big accident, uh, it's catastrophic. This is all going to end in 10 years. By the way, every year it's still 10 years. I don't know if you noticed that. Every year it's 10 more years. Well, anyways. But we see this picture in nature that, that just as sure as summer's coming because they're budding, is the sure of the, as, as sure that the coming of the Son of Man is, is, is going to come. There on the Mount of Olives, it was known for its many fig trees. And he used that illustration of this blooming to say, guys, this, this is how sure it's going to be. That you can, you can bank on. And then he gives a promise, not a picture from nature, but a promise from his word. Verse 32. <clears throat> uh, For verily I say unto you, uh, this is interesting, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. What a wonderful promise, by the way, of the preservation of the word of God. But this generation, uh, uh, many people stumble over that passage. What is this talking about, this generation? The generation he's talking to has long since passed. I don't know. This generation is going to see these things. That's how quick it's going to take place. generation that observed the, 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 sun, the moon darkening and the sun and the stars and, and, the, and the, the seas uh, and, the, and the animals dying and, and all this stuff going on, that same generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. That's, that's what's going to take place. And, uh, and, 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 and the fulfillment of this, uh, of this covenant, of this promise that was given all the way back to David, that, that, that the seed of David would rule from his throne. Christ is going to come and usher in the kingdom, this kingdom that the Bible talks about will never end. That kingdom. All that kingdom talk that Jesus has been doing in the Gospels, he says, this is where it's all going to take place. This is where it's all going to come to fruition. We see the certainty of his coming in verse 33. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words, these things that I've said to you, these promises that I've made, are not going to pass away. Though heaven and earth are going to burn. By the way, the Bible says that God's going to make a new and a new earth. And what's going to still remain? His words. How wonderful is that? I believe, my, I believe we're going to spend all of eternity and, uh, and, and, and God's going to be showing us things that we still missed in his word. All right, everybody gather around. I'll show you something else you missed in my word. You guys notice this? And he's going to be teaching us. And we're going to be learning him. We're going to be knowing him. We're going to know him even as we are known, the Bible says. And, and, uh, and I believe this is going to be wonderful uh, glory and honor given to him. And we're going to have a reverence for him like we can never possibly have in our flesh. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. The Bible says in 1 Kings eight fifty seven, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. 
There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. And they said that with such confidence there in that Old Testament. And let me just say at the very end, we're going to say with such confidence something very Everything that he said, he did. And we'll praise the Lord. The last thing I want to point out is the priorities for believers. After describing the different signs that will proceed as coming, Jesus gives some, some, several priorities that believers should have in light of his coming. Some things to consider. Some things for, the, for Israel and those Jews in that day, but I do believe some things for us today as well. First thing is found in verse number 34. Take heed to yourselves. Listen, at any time your heart be overcharged with, uh, with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. First warning Jesus gives is to beware of temporal focuses, a temporal focus. Caught up with this world and caught up with his life, God's warning is that first we focus our priorities on, on, on the things that should have our attention and avoid the wrong things. Take heed there means to, to, to take caution. We ought to take caution and consider the things that have eternal value, the things that really matter, the main things. So what are some things we ought to worry about? Uh, he says this, um, um, in verse 34, he says, uh, Take heed to yourselves, lest any times your hearts be overcharged. Overcharged, uh, free from, from burdens. That means to be weighed down. What weighs us down? What weighs us down is these things of the flesh, riotous living, it says, overcharged with, with surfeiting and drunkenness. Surfeiting is the, the idea of, uh, uh, of headaches caused by, by, by like a hangover, <laughs> by drinking too much and, uh, and being, being weighed down with, with the after effects. In other words, be sober-minded. Don't get caught up with these kinds of things, uh, the things that distract us. By the way, why do people run to these things? You know what they are? They're, uh, they're, 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 um, they're painkillers. They're trying to distract us from the cares of the world. They try to distract us. They're escapes. Why is it that after someone might lose a job, he finds himself at the bar? Why is it that he's in a, a man's in a fight with his wife and he finds himself at the bar? Why is it when things just aren't going their way, they run to the drugs and they run to these things? Why? They're trying to escape it. And just like it says in Proverbs about the drunkard, he says, when he awakes, he will seek it yet again. He says, uh, you know, uh, he talks about these bruises that just showed up. And he says, I don't know where these came from. And all these aches and pains that he had from being drunk the night before, he doesn't remember any of it. And he says, when I awake, I, I will seek it yet again. And we get caught up into these addictive lifestyles. And God's saying, no, no, beware of the temporal focus. Don't get bogged down by addiction. Don't get bogged down by this kind of living, this riotous living. You see, uh, Vance Havner once said, uh, some of the saints are singing about the second coming. But it's one thing to sing the national anthem during the uh, war, and it's quite another to go into battle. It's one thing to, to, to talk about these things and talk about the spiritual war. It's another thing to engage. Yeah, I should be sober-minded. Yeah, uh, I should cease from sin. Let every man in the name of Christ cease from iniquity. We should turn from these things. We should be uh, sober-minded. We should realize the urgency of the hour. We should do these things. But it's a whole other thing to say, I should do, I should do, I should do, and say, I am, I am, I am. Onward, Christian soldier, marching as to war. Hey, I'm glad you know the national anthem. But do you know what battle's all about? It's time to armor up Christian soldiers. 
Romans 13 is a great warning and caution, verse 11 through 14, that knowing, and that knowing the time, that it is high time to awake out of sleep. The Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, called the church to awake out of sleep. You know what we tend to do in church? Sleep. Like some of you, you're fighting it. We have a lot of sleepy Christians. It's amazing we can sit through a three-hour-long movie. But we talk about preaching for 30 minutes in church. Well, preacher, I don't know what it's like to sit through. Um, We're, we're so overly stimulated and we're so entertained. By the way, the way I preach would be so unacceptable a couple hundred years ago. No, you stand inside your pulpit. You don't wave your arms around. You sit in your clergy robe and you your sermon. You do that today? Well, two people. Because we don't have attention span. So I got to change my tone. I got to tell a joke. I got to wave my arms. I got to clap my hand. Make sure you're awake. And call our attention to the things that matter. So what Paul says, under inspiration of the Spirit of God, says, hey, sleepy Christians, it's time to awake. It's time for revival. It's time to get excited about the things of God. It's time to put away the temporal things, the carnal things, the things that, that quite frankly, are going to burn. Time to get rid of that. Time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. How many of you understand, today we are one day closer to being with the Lord than we were yesterday. Time to get one day more serious. It's time to wake up. Let's not get colder. Let's get hotter. Let's get closer. Let's get uh, godlier. Yes, we are called to godliness. We are called to holiness. Let's get serious about the things of God. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, get this now, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Walk honestly as in the day, he says, not in rioting. You know, that is partying and drunkenness. Not in chambering. It's immorality and wantonness. Not in strife, fighting with each other, not in envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we study Christ? Because we're supposed to put him on. We're supposed to emulate him. We're supposed to walk as he walked. See, our focus should be on that which is eternal. Many live for the present as though it was a, it, there was going to be no accounting for our lives. Many live as though it's just not going to matter. He calls us to, to, to separate from righteous living. He calls us to separate from worldly cares. The word there in the text, uh, it talks about, uh, uh, where are we at? Verse 34. It says, uh, the cares of this life. The cares of this life. The word there, cares, it, it actually carries the idea of Anxiety. Have you noticed the rise of fear and anxiety in our society? Everyone's on pills, everyone's on uh, 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 having to see uh, counselors and all kinds of stuff going on because there's just such unrest. And really what's happening is where we, we've learned how to do life in our own strength. We're depending on ourselves and we've not learned to rest in the Lord. By the way, he brings rest. 
But when there's restlessness, when there's anxiety, <clears throat> mark it down. Now, there are some things we may have to deal with, but let's just, let's just boil it down to what it is. You're not trusting. And I'm not trusting. I'm trying to do it in the flesh. I'm trying to do it myself, and I'm not resting in him who gives peace. Philippians 4, 6 or 7, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't be full of anxiety for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Bring it to the Lord. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace that passes all understanding. How many of you would like that? Boy, I wish I could just give that on a pill. Take this pill and you'll have peace. Lord Jesus gives us the antidote. The Lord Jesus gives us, gives us the, the, the prescription here. Be careful for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that your request may be known unto God. And then the second thing, I want, the warning is, beware of indifference. Beware of indifference. You know, in the last days, the church is going to become lukewarm. It's going to become lukewarm. You see, most people like it if the service is about 35 minutes long, mostly filled with rock music. Preacher doesn't preach specifically about my sin, and then we'll be good. That's what a lot of people like in this, in this lukewarm church age that we're in. That's about what I like. There was, there was a church in, in, in one of the cities that I pastored in California. There was a large church there, and they actually advertised that you'd be out in 30 minutes or less. It's like, it's like, we have a church for all those who want to come to church to leave. You want to come to leave? Heaven's going to be a little uncomfortable for you, I think. It says this in verse 34. We, we read that last part. He says, Lest that day should come unawares. Verse 35. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. It's going to come as a snare. So he gives this warning so that they're not, first of all, unaware. That, that doesn't come unaware, uh, unforeseen, unexpected. The Bible talks about him coming as a thief in the night. But then he warns, he says, it doesn't have to overtake you as a thief. Those of us who are saved and those who, who know the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, uh, we look forward to it. And we're anxious for his, for his uh, 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 coming back and rescuing us. Speak. For those uh, who are going to miss it, for those who have not trusted and put their faith in him, uh, they're going to be overtaken. As, as tribulation begins to unfold, as, as, uh, as these things come, it's going to be like a thief in the night. I don't know if you've ever been robbed before, or someone's ever broken into your house and stolen something. But it must feel a great deal of just violation. A thief broke in in the night. And took things. I, I feel violated. I feel, but, 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 but boy, if you knew, you could be ready. And how different that is. You can have a cop stationed at your house. You can be ready to go. How different that would be. So we'll give the warning unless you're unaware and so that you're not surprised. You see, a lot of times in our lukewarmness, we become so indifferent to the things that really matter. We miss the things that really matter. We miss the big picture. We become very indifferent. On September 6, 1941, a journalist named Clark Beach wrote the following. A Japanese attack on Hawaii is regarded as the most unlikely thing in the world 
with one, with one chance in a million of being successful. Besides shaving more powerful defenses than any other post under the, uh, uh, under the American flag, it is protected by, the distant, uh, by, by great distance. Three months and one day after he wrote that article, Pearl Harbor was attacked by the, by the Japanese. Indifference. Pfft, it's not going to happen here. How about this? It's not going to happen in my lifetime. It's not going to happen under my watch, under my care. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 through 5, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves perfectly, the day of the Lord so come as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, what's the biggest cry today? Peace and safety. You need us. You need the government. You need us to take care of you, and we're going to protect you. Peace and safety. Give up your rights, and we'll give you peace and safety in return. I think Jefferson gave some warnings about that one. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of light, and the children of the day, uh, we are not of the night nor of darkness. He says, as believers, as Christians, folks, it should not overtake us. We are ready. We're, we, we, we see, if you would, the, the, the times and the seasons. We see, we see it coming. Are you ready? Is your house ready? Are your children ready? Are your loved ones ready? Are those people in your sphere of influence ready? The Lord warns that if his people live like the unsaved, they're not going to be anticipating and waiting for his return. In fact, the Bible says there's a a reward, a crown, for they that love his appearing. Paul talked about how he had fought a good fight, kept the faith. He's Henceforth laid up for me a crown of righteousness, but not for me only, but to all those who love his appearing, looking forward to the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, looking forward to him taking us away. Charles Spurgeon said this, it ought to be a daily disappointment when our Lord does not come. Instead of being, as, as I fear it is, a kind of foregone conclusion that he will not come just yet. We ought to live every day, oh man, he didn't come again. Rather than, eh, he's, he hasn't come in 2,000 years, he's not coming tomorrow, which is, I think, how most of us are. So are you prepared? Verse 36, watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape the things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, I'm so thankful that the Bible gives us assurance that we can have. These things have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We don't have to guess, we don't have to wonder, but, uh, but boy, we ought to live in that anticipation. He's coming again. He's coming again. Jesus revealed in this passage many of the signs that are going to take place before his coming, equipping us with the knowledge of his second coming, the understanding of the second coming. So that, uh, that uh, specifically, contextually, it doesn't directly relate to us. It's, it's for the Jews there. There's so many truths we pull from it in the idea of, of uh, you know, hey, once we're taken out of here, folks, we're done. We're done. Are you ready? Are you ready for that final trumpet? When the dead in Christ arise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, and so shall we be with the Lord. Are you ready? Well, we have a time of invitation where we just, maybe the Lord's done something in our heart to challenge you. You know, I need to get a little bit serious about my testimony. 
I need to get a little bit serious about my witnessing. I need to, to realize that he is coming. I need to realize that, that, you know what, I am one day closer than when I first started, than when I was first saved. I'm one day further along. Maybe there's some things that you need to get your own household in order. You need to prepare. Why don't we just have a moment of prayer to spend some time with the Lord in the quietness of this moment before we are dismissed. Maybe you're here this morning as people are praying. You say, preacher, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm saved. Quoted earlier, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. The Bible says you can know confidence. You 